Welcome to The Outside Story. Thank you for tuning in today. And today we have a special episode. We will not be talking about a movie or a TV show, but we will be talking about Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And I'm Jessica. I'm Larry. And I'm Jonathan. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, cool. All right. <laughs> Anyways, so I thought, okay, to start this off, I thought it would be fun to just think about a character, uh, Asian character, it doesn't have to be Asian American, it could be any Asian character, any Asian actor, musician, author, director, writer, anyone in any type of field that you like, you admire, is there anyone that you guys look up to and... Are you saying like A as in like singular? Because I came up with like a whole list of No, you can, it doesn't have to be one person. It can be like a bunch of people if you have names. Yeah, your ensemble cast. (laughs) Yeah. Your Avengers Assemble, your Asian Avengers Assemble cast. Yes, yes. When I saw this, I thought it was funny. I had to, like, look up a bunch of stuff um, and do research just because I'm just like, oh, who's who's that person and what's their name again? Just because there are some, like, directors that, that I know that I love, but I just don't follow as closely. Um, but anyway, um, growing up, I really, really looked up to and loved, um, like, Jackie Chan and Jet Li. Um, kind of seeing them in, in like those action films and watching Jackie Chan adventures and stuff like that. I think that, you know, those are kind of moments I'm, I'm skipping a little ahead now, but those are the kind of moments in my childhood where I saw people like me on the screen and stuff. And so I thought that was really cool. I really liked Takeshi Kaneshiro from yes. like <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think we all started because of Jess. <laughs> like, he was in the... There, there's a... For those of you who are not Hmong American, there's this really, really bad Hmong dub of this old Chinese film, and it's called Mermaid Got Married. That's, like, the... That's, like, direct Hmong to English translation. I don't know what the... I um, thought that's what it was in, like, English, too. Like, I remember when I went on IMDb and tried to look him up. I think that's the title. I could be wrong. He was a very likable character. He wasn't even like the main love interest, which was uh, really funny. He's just a, he's a great supporting actor in that. Yeah, um, I think so too. Yeah. Like he, um, he yeah, almost seemed like the love interest, but he wasn't. But I almost liked that he wasn't the love interest. Right. Yeah. Oh, I guess it is called Mermaid Got Married. See, yeah. I told you. <laughs> I told you. Yeah, but yeah, so in Hmong, it's called Gong Jie Tao Zi and that's Mermaid <laughs> Got Married. Um, and there's just so many, I remember watching that movie over and over and over again. That was kind of like the rom-com that, that we all grew up with, you know? Dude, it's the best. Every <laughs> once in a while, when I'm feeling, like, sentimental or, like, you know, nostalgic, nostalgic yeah. yeah, I'll go, like, look it up on YouTube and find, like, the Hmong dub. Not the Chinese version, <laughs> like, the Hmong dub, because it's hilarious. <laughs> Maybe like, something that you should show your kids as they grow up, Jess. That'd be fun. I, I think I did. I tried showing Ollie once, and... It was a really bad quality, but I want to 
somehow get it in a I don't know higher quality if that's even possible. I, I think we still have the VHS tapes. For oh my that. gosh, can it be yeah. like transferred digitally? <laughs> I'm pretty sure, but I just gotta find a VCR. <laughs> Good luck finding those; they don't exist anymore. It's on eBay now for a thousand dollars. Yeah, but I I love Takashi Kaneshiro, and I thought he was amazing in that. And I I think the last thing I ever really saw him in was the um. Was it the 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 Three Kingdoms stuff that he did? Mm-hmm. Was it Red Bluffs, Larry? I don't know if you Red Cliff. Red Cliff. Yeah. Um, was he in that one? I think. I, think he I don't recall actually. I thought he played like Zhuge Liang or something like that. Yeah, actually, yeah, he's in Red Cliff. Yeah, um, yeah, and then besides besides those three dudes. I, I really love Constance Wu and all the stuff she's been doing recently. I love Michelle Yeoh and especially her performance in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. I love Harry Shum Jr. I think he's great. And then when it comes to like musicians, I really like Sam Tsui. He does like YouTube covers and stuff. Oh yeah, I know who um, he is. Yeah, he's, he's really great. And then Joseph Vincent is amazing Filipino YouTube artist and then passion is amazing I love passion stuff and I always hope that he goes on tour and comes to Seattle so I can see him because I really want to see him live and then other than that directors that kind of stand out to me James Wan I like James Wan and the stuff that he does I actually really like Jay Chow's stuff I was really in love with his secret film I don't know if Jess, you've seen it, but I'm sure, Larry, you've seen it. Yeah. But it's a film that he did. I think it was his directorial debut, and I, I, I loved it. It's a little on the nose and a little predictable, but I love the storytelling in it. And then the best director of all time, I'm going to have to hand to Hayao Miyazaki, who does all the really, really famous anime stuff like Spirited Away Howl's Moving Castle. Those are the kind of movies I, I grew up. I remember one of the very, very fondest moments in my childhood memory of dad and us brothers. Sorry, Jess. I don't know why you weren't there, but you weren't. Because <laughs> I'm uh, not a boy. <laughs> maybe. But I remember dad taking us all the way out to Davis to go see Spirited Away because we wanted to I don't to remember that. It. I was yeah. left out. Intentionally yeah, you were left, left out. out. For sure. Uh, do you remember that though, Larry? Oh yeah, for sure. I remember that because one of Dad's coworkers went to Japan or something, and then she bought like a souvenir, like like a I think an anime DVD film, and then she also had a copy of Spirited Away when that first came out, and it had like subtitles, English subtitles. And for the longest time, we couldn't get it to work, but then after like a month later, we figured it out. And I watched it, I fell in love with it. And I was like, oh my god, this film is so good. And then. When I think I was in sixth grade, if I remember correctly, fifth or sixth grade, I heard it was going to come out in, in English. And so I was asking dad, like, hey, are there times anywhere <laughs> to watch to watch this film? Because I know it's out. I just don't know where it is. He's like, yeah, it's all the way in Davis. <laughs> so he took me, Jonathan, and our other brother, Luke, all the way to Davis just to watch this film. And I loved every frame of it. The Spirit Away is still one of my favorite films, and to watch it like that, and to get something like that as a kid, I'm like, damn, like that's something I still remember for sure. Right, yeah, and, and I think for me, Spirited Away just holds a lot of 
like memory and nostalgia mm-hmm. like from that from that moment and so yeah i i just i'm other than spirited away i think hayami ozaki has other really really great films that he's done as well and so yeah mm-hmm. i just really appreciate him as a director and look up to him and his work in storytelling so yeah that's me all right um for me same with jonathan growing up i, I loved jackie chan and jet lee whenever they came out with the film i was always on top of trying to you know watch their latest releases and such and i remember when shanghai noon first came out i begged my parents to like <laughs> for, for for them to take me to go watch it and then your I, parents oh yes uh, larry <laughs> <laughs> i begged mom and dad yeah, yeah my parents <laughs> not your parents my parents <laughs> Um, I begged them to uh, take me, and I remember they 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 took me, but like I like cried for it basically because <laughs> I really really wanted to go see it. Um, wow! And I, I think I don't remember, but they they did have something to do that night. But they were like, you know what, Larry's being a crybaby, so. <laughs> um, but yeah. Everything and anything that they had, it was just something I wanted to really experience and really kind of see where we are. And those were really big influences and role models. And growing up later, it became Donnie Yen. Donnie Yen is still, I think ever since he made SPL, it's it's like a 2006 Chinese film. Mm -hmm. Uh, He really became on my radar because I think he was like 40-ish, maybe almost, no, I think 40-ish around that time. And around that time, he was always limited to, like, villain roles. He was always, like, a supporting character. And then to kind of see him break out and become this huge, mega, international actor, being part of, like, Star Wars Rogue One and I think the other X film with Vin Diesel. You know, him, like, starting to break out in these other roles and others, people starting to recognize his capabilities, like, really inspired me. And not only that, Donnie is, from what I've read, like, his tweets and his um, personal life, he's very much about his family. Like, he'll never, like, he only makes films, like, maybe once or twice a year. You know, he always likes to um, prioritize his family, you know, time with his family and such. So I really respected that. And I think Ip Man also really put him out into that kind of uh, radar as well onto other people's right. radar also i think brenda song she doesn't do very much stuff now but she was on that sweet life of zach and cody on the disney channel yeah I and remember. We're, we're, yeah we're, we're like, like oh, oh my gosh she's cool because she's like mom too yeah <laughs> um and she hasn't been doing much but last time i saw her was on the social network the film on uh facebook, facebook yeah yeah and then she's been kind of doing her own things since then. Yeah, she's and... working on a TV show, I think. Yeah, that's okay. what I heard. Yeah, with oh, a whole bunch okay. of other child actors, which is kind of funny. Oh, yeah, that yeah. actually would explain that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and she was in Wendy Wu Homecoming Warrior. Don't forget <laughs> about that. Yeah. I watched that movie so many times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did. I mean, it was, you know, like, I feel like um, in, like, Asian films, like, women are like portrayed in such a way where like they can fight you know and they can like do other things and they can be the heroes too and so i think for disney channel to like pick up on that and feature like brenda song as wendy Wu homecoming warrior where she's this heroine you know um albeit the story is a little you know uh, shallow but um <laughs> like it's just this really cool idea of this like of this woman who, young woman who, like, 
you know, inherits this, like, legacy from her family, and she has to choose between fulfilling that and, you know, prom. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, women actually have very prominent roles in Chinese and Asian fantasy and fables and legends and right. uh, the wuxia stuff, yeah. Right, right. Uh, even, like, in current Chinese dramas, like, women tend to play a really pretty big role that plays a really significant part to the story. And that's something I, I really like because it does not only just add more diversity, but it just it kind of just shows you that, you know, there's a lot of things that add to character in that aspect. Growing up, those were the big few things. And even now, those were the things that affected the way we grew up. But also anime, like as Jonathan was saying, like not just Hayao Miyazaki, but just anime in general. Because for some reason, I just always had an affinity and it always kind of grew on us. Like Sailor Moon, Dragon Ball Z, mm-hmm. Pokemon. and then Fruits all- Basket. Fruits Basket. <laughs> One of these- my favorites. Yeah. <laughs> and then all the Saturday morning cartoon shows and kodocha and this is just so many things full moon oh, oh man another good one full moon, oh, full moon is, is so, so good, good. Is i really need to good. rewatch it now that is really hard to find now because it's so old really <laughs> yeah. is it? oh my gosh it is it's really hard to find because they don't because it's such an old anime they don't re-release it mm. onto yeah. dvd and such so if i watch that one i'm gonna just start crying <laughs> i don't know if it's a good idea <laughs> And also, oh my gosh, how did I forget? Avatar. How did I forget Airbender? Mm, last Airbender. Yeah. Um, not James that, Cameron's. Yeah, not, Jay, not <laughs> I was James gonna Cameron's say. Avatar. No, the last Airbender. I don't remember um, any Asian people and, in and, there. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Legend of Korra. Like, that sort of blend of culture. And, like, they paid so much respect with which each of the clans, or which each of the nations, they're not clans, it, with each of the nations, they did such a good job portraying those kind of lifestyles and their culture and traditions. And you just kind of see how much the creators had uh, such a love for those things. Mm. Yeah, just those little things really attributed to my experience, our experience uh, growing up. For me, growing up, I mean, obviously, like you guys, I love Jackie Chan, Jet Li. I feel like they definitely like paved, helped pave the way for actors now. And mm-hmm. for me, growing up, like not seeing Asian women on the screen was definitely hard. And when like I did see them, like Lucy Liu, um, she was definitely like one of those people who were like, oh my gosh, like I really like her. And, you know, she like, you know, you were saying like, there's someone on the screen that looks like me. And um, so she was one of those people for me. And I feel like now there are definitely a lot more people uh, actor wise to look up to. And so one of those people for me is definitely Sandra Oh. I really loved her in Grey's Anatomy. And I liked that her character, you know, like for most like I guess Asian characters like she had a lot of depth to her and you know there was more to her than like meets the eye and I like that she was on the show for such a long time that you got to see that her character grow so I really love Sandra Oh and and then (laughs) there do you guys remember this movie called Better Luck Tomorrow Mm, yeah yeah like I like loved that movie too like growing up like just seeing like all Asians like and it was like an American film but it was, like, all Asians, and I was like, yes, like, this is what I want, like, it was a good story, and it wasn't, like, your typical, I don't know, like, not your, it wasn't, like, a Chinese film, or, like, you know, like, an Asian, quote-unquote Asian movie, 
it held right. it was like it was like american so right. Right. yeah so i really liked that and then wait real uh, quick on better luck yeah. tomorrow before you move on yeah I, I just i i remember that film and i just really liked how it portrayed young asian american men um mm-hmm. in a light that um like people don't necessarily see young asian american men you know yeah um because like again like when we grew up with jackie chan and jet lee kind of being the forefront of like hey this is how asians are on the screen we have accents we know how to kick butt you know Mm -hmm. that sort of thing and and here with better luck tomorrow you kind of see kind of like a different side Um, yeah and, and that's i feel like when we watch better luck tomorrow we're just kind of like oh yeah these are like a bunch of dudes who are too smart for their age and they like get into trouble you know mm-hmm. um and it's it's almost reflective at least for me i was able to watch that and just be like wow like that's crazy and but then at the same time i feel like i knew people at at that age um who were also getting into trouble like that too you know young yeah. american dudes you know yeah so it wasn't too different but it was a like a change of pace almost mm-hmm. for um for for asian representation in hollywood yeah Wow, I'm sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. But I totally don't remember this film at all. Really? Totally. You might have uh, been, like, way too young. Yeah, I think you might have been young. I was, like, 10 years old when this film came out. (laughs) Yeah, so you were definitely, yeah. But (laughs) you should should watch it. I think you'd like it. I think so, too, because I'm looking at it. What? This film completely went under my radar. Yeah, it's a really good film. You know who's in it, though? John Cho is in it. Yeah, I'm looking at it. And he plays, like, an a-hole in it, which is, it's pretty (laughs) funny to watch, to watch that. But, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Um, Who else? And, like, just as I mentioned, like, John Cho, him and, like, Harold and Kumar, it was, like, a dumb movie. But, like, it was just good to see. Even, even like, Cal Penn, like, you know, is Indian-American. So, who else? Uh, like, Jonathan, you said Constance Wu. I feel like she was definitely, like, pay, it was paving, like, the way for, like, Asian-American actresses. Mm-hmm. And I think she's just doing an amazing job. Who else? I mean, Aquafina is doing really yes. good too. Yes, have you? We I think we talked about this, like the trailer for her new film. Yeah, I, I'm really excited to see her in like a, a different thing. Yeah, me too. I I was watching the trailer and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna cry already. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah, I'm excited for that. And like last year in August, they called it. I don't know what it was called, but it was almost like a another like Asian American like movie month because. Crazy Rich Asian came out, Searching came out, and then To All the Boys I've Loved Before also came out. Mm-hmm. And To All the Boys I've Loved Before, that's probably one of my favorite films now. Yeah. Um, because it's it's a romantic comedy, but I felt like it was like a it was just refreshing, and it was just refreshing to see an Asian American actress like lead. Like I've never seen that in my whole life. Yeah. And. I was like, wow, like that could have been me. You know what I mean? Like yeah. uh, growing up for me, I was, I always, I loved movies. I loved TV shows, but I was like, I don't think I could ever make it in this industry because there's no one else that looks like me on the right. screen. So yeah. when that came out, I was like, wow, like that could have been me if only I tried or if I had believed in myself, mm-hmm. that could have been me. But yeah, Lana Condor, I love her. And 
music wise you guys already know who i'm gonna talk about you know just like the biggest boy band on the planet right now or the whole entire galaxy um but bts you guys know i've been like recently obsessed obsessed with them um i'm just a little sad that i didn't uh you know discover them earlier mm. That's what makes me a little sad is that I wish I discovered them earlier because they've been out for like six or seven years. I'm like, oh my gosh, I've missed out on so much. And I feel like I hate to be that person that jumps on the bandwagon. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But I feel like that, but that's basically what I'm doing. <laughs> but anywho, um, I feel like they're just changing the music scene in a really good way. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, you know, they're Korean and with that like they're bringing internationally just like their culture like who they are and they've mentioned this like with music like language like doesn't have there's like no barrier because music like transcends all you know what i mean so and i love that that that's what they're doing is that they're also you know bringing their their heritage and that but then also what i've been noticing with people that since they've come to like the us and they've toured and stuff is that you know they're actually they're bringing not just asian like american like fans but there's also like black people mexican people white people like they're bringing such a diverse group of people that actually love their music mm-hmm. so that's what i love that they're doing also love steven yun he did burning that's why i was like we got to watch steven yun because i oh. think he's just like oh go ahead Oh, I was going to say real quick on the whole BTS thing. Yeah. I had a question. Yes. Remind me, did were you into K-pop and stuff when our cousins, like Sabrina, were <sighs> really into Okay. K-pop? Um, yes and no. Like, I thought it was dumb. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I thought it was dumb. I was like, what is this? Like, you know what I mean? I mean, like, Sabrina was really into it. And I, I wasn't as close to Sabrina as I was to Sherry, and Sherry yeah. didn't like it. So I was like, oh, I don't like it either. You know what I mean? So. <laughs> yeah, Sabrina. I feel like Sabrina and Denise were like really into like K-pop yeah. and maybe Denise not as much, but I know she was into the more Hmong bands and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I remember really liking SCS, the Korean mm-hmm. girl band. Yeah. Um, really liking their stuff and. I Boa. To, yeah, Boa. And I listened to Xinhua a little bit too. Oh my gosh, I have a story to tell about that. <laughs> <What's the story? laughs> yeah, it's not really a story, but no, because um, I was going down like the BTS wormhole on YouTube uh-huh. and <laughs> uh, there's a Korean show where it's called like Celebrity Bromance. And one of the guys from BTS, Jungkook, the youngest, uh, he went on the uh, like a few episodes and the person that he had like his celebrity bromance slash crush on was um, one of the guys from Xinhua. And I was <laughs> laughing. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> it was oh, a great man. episode. Like you guys should watch it. It's hilarious. But yeah, that just like brought back so many memories. And I was like, wow, he's still making music. He's like in his forties. <laughs> I'm like, that's great. That's awesome that he's still doing that. Yeah. But yeah, I was just, it just made me laugh. It just brought back all these memories of, you know, growing up and semi-listening to K-pop and, you know, liking it. But yeah, anyways. And also this, uh, for those of you who don't know, and I'm I'm revealing a little bit here about the Hmong community. So Hmong community, please forgive me if this is too revealing. (laughs) But Hmong people love K-pop. Like, love, love K-pop. I feel like, 
Oh, true. It's true. Like, like we kind of grab onto Korean culture and K-pop and like kind of claim it as our own sometimes, you know? It's I remember true. when like our cousin was like super into K-pop and he like <laughs> dyed his hair like blue. <laughs> it was so funny, but at the same time like I don't know what it is, but like I feel like Hmong American people, a good handful of, of Hmong American folks are just really into Korean culture and, and K-pop. Yeah. And I don't know mm-hmm. what it is about about that. That's that's interesting because now that you brought that up, like thinking back to like college, like a few of our friends, like they loved K-pop. They loved oh, yeah. Big Bang and they went to concerts and they even like I think Big Bang had a contest for like a music video and they went oh, to, yeah, they that. actually, yeah, they actually like <laughs> went to the city and like shot like the music video in all the same place that Big Bang did. And I was like, whoa, like what the heck? Like, oh, <clears throat> like then I didn't get it. Like, yeah, like some of the music's catchy, but like I just didn't get like the whole thing. And back to what you were saying about like how like Hmong Americans are like kind of almost like clinging onto it. I yeah. for me, I think it's almost like even like any other Asians, they have such a strong sense of identity mm. and culture and country versus us where we don't have that. Mm. We don't have a country to call our own. We we have we do have culture and like traditional things that we do. But I feel like without a country, we are displaced. Mm. And I feel like that's also like a big sense of to why like we cling on to something that is not our own. Does that make mm. sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. that makes sense. But um, yeah, you were talking about Stephen Yun before. Stephen Yun, <laughs> um, yes, loved him. Walking Dead. I think he, for me, seeing him on screen, he broke the stereotype of Asian men. I know he's talked in several interviews of him struggling with his depth of character, and I definitely understand that. I'm sure. Depth or depth? Depth. D-E-P-T-H. Yeah, depth. The other word does not make sense. <laughs> well, I mean, his, his, character, his character, oh, sorry, did yes. his character did die. Yes. No, it yes. Don't, it's already, you had two years. <laughs> <laughs> too little, too late. Okay, you just, you wait too long. Sorry, sorry. Spoiler, his character does die, so I thought you might have said death. Um, no, depth. <laughs> depth of character. Okay, cool. Yeah, but yeah, I think he, yeah, he's mentioned that um, he wished there was more, but I, which I was thinking, really? I feel like they, for me, like they showed so much. Like just someone who was strong, who was a leader, who just like the type of character that you wouldn't see like a typical Asian American man play. Mm-hmm. So, and then, oh, sorry, just just popped up like Daniel Day Kim on yeah. Lost. Oh, yeah. Yes, and now he's on, or he was on Hawaii Five-0. But yeah, him yeah. too, I feel like, there, there's just so many people. I can go on and on and on, but I won't. Yeah, I will stop here. I think it's just unfortunate that, like, Daniel Day Kim, when he was on Lost, that he had to, like, fake his accent. Yeah. You know? The funny thing is that he didn't know... Or he knew Korean, but he wasn't f- as fluent. Yeah. Um, as, um, I forgot the... His, his like, the character, his wife. Like, sh- she's more fluent in Korean than mm-hmm. Daniel. But anyways. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought that was unfortunate. It's like... Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, the only role that he could land was in a Korean person who had, like, a heavy accent, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, that's, if you do you guys have anyone else you guys want to add to the list? I think I went through my list. Okay. Yeah. Larry? Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, I, I think that's it. 
Okay. Add any Hmong people? No. That. <laughs> see, like, that wasn't really a thing uh, for us. You know what I mean? We were yeah, really I'm... into that. <laughs> yeah. Um... No, we oh, no, 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 no. No, I have Hmong people. Yeah. I have Hmong. Yes. Um, the two twins from the Lore Brothers from Kinjas. What? Kinjas? Oh. Do you guys know who the Kinjas are? Oh my god. What? No. You guys, they are a dance group. Uh-uh. Oh no. my gosh. Okay. No, no, no. So, the Lore Brothers, they went to high school with us. Oh, did they? Yes, they were on, like, the dance team and everything. Like, they were the ones... You guys don't remember? Nope. No. Wow. Seriously? Well, we went I, to I school know, with them. Like, I, I was in the same, like, algebra class as some of the Jabberwockies. Yeah, um, but them, they're Hmong, and um, they're super duper, like, famous in the, in, like, the dance community, and I guess those are two people that I really also look up to. Like, every year, they go to uh, Hmong New Year, and they just, like, meet people and, you know, meet fans and stuff like that, so mm-hmm. that's cool that, you know, they're, they're showing off, like, the Hmong, their heritage, like, in that way, like, in dance, that's not typical Hmong dance right but like it's hip-hop but oh my god you guys should look up Kinjas they're so good okay um okay oh sorry I just remembered one more one more I wanted to mention is Wong Fu Productions oh yeah yes I know I love them like they've been around for so long and I feel like they've definitely like paved the way for YouTube in terms of like Asian Americans doing just like film and not having to wait for producers or like big right, movie right. companies and you know they're like doing their own things which I think is like amazing and great and you know I think one day we're probably going to see one of their movies on screen yeah I think they're also doing a great job yeah I, I love Wong Fu I remember watching their Yellow Fever um short film and just uh having a great time and laughing with my friends on on how uh funny we thought it was and i think mm-hmm. yeah i think they were just a bunch of dudes in college having fun and i don't even think they even imagined themselves where they are but they are and i think that they're what what they're doing is great yeah, yeah i love wong fu have you guys seen their series yappy no no I, I, i've seen stuff where but i haven't seen it yeah, I think you guys would really, or we would really enjoy it. And I think that would be one to like watch and talk through. But mm-hmm. yeah, anyways, the next thing I want to talk about is like our experience growing up as Asian American, Hmong American, things that you struggled with, things that you've learned, and things you want to improve on. Uh, I went first last time. So Larry, why don't you go first? Sure. I remember in elementary school, like there were other Asians, but we were pretty much the only Hmong people there. <laughs> yeah. Or at least in my class, I was. And there was one time in third grade, we were supposed to have like a transfer student, and then the teacher put her name on the board, and her last name was Vang. I'm like, oh, she's Hmong. I'm like, that's interesting. You don't ever, I don't ever see Hmong people um, here, or at least from from where. Um, from where I was attending elementary school. Mm-hmm. And when the middle school came around, I'm like, whoa, there's a lot of Hmong people. <laughs> and, and for just growing up, like our Hmong community was mainly at the church. Mm-hmm. We all grew up in a Hmong church. And so that was pretty much our only exposure to other Hmong people uh, within the church. And then middle school is when I started seeing a lot more other Hmong people. And I remember 
I consider it a meme now, but like, <laughs> um, I was always told, for some reason, like this is my uh, like a a memory I have. Um, I remember being told to not make friends with the Hmong people at school hmm. because they were all gangsters. <laughs> <laughs> who told you that? I I don't know who told me this. I couldn't. I don't remember if it was like mom or dad, or it, I don't remember. But grandma, grandpa. Yeah, it could be grandma, grandpa too. But it was kind of true. <laughs> like most of the other kids were affiliated or were involved with certain things uh, in middle school and in high school. So I always kept my distance from other Hmong people, but Asians in general, I was fine. And as I've said before, the Hmong community we had was within the church. And so for a while, I didn't, I never really connected. And so most of it, I just kind of defaulted myself as like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm American. I'm Asian American. And so I, I stuck with that instead of being Hmong American. So kind of this blank slate Asian American instead of being uh, more firm in being like a Hmong American. And... Growing up, I just didn't like a lot of the stereotypes that had with Hmong culture. Or, or for some reason, I guess I didn't even like Hmong culture growing up. A lot of it was more evident when we attended uh, Jingle Bells and um, <laughs> like Hmong weddings, like you after should, Hmong weddings. Maybe and you such. should explain what Jingle Bell is. Oh no, no, okay, it's it's funny. I actually had a coworker ask what Jingle Bell was because, like, one of my co <laughs> my coworkers are or some of my coworkers are Hmong too, and I was like, they don't know what Jingle Bell is. <laughs> yeah, and they're like, no, we're not talking about Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> it's too early for Christmas, and then they're like, yeah. Um, so Jingle Bell, it's the American term we use to call it in Hmong's Kapuning. It's basically like a ritual where they have a, uh, a specialist, a shaman, come in and they give blessings and such to the family. And uh, it's usually takes like a whole day. Sometimes families do this on like on a month, uh, like every, not like every month, but like just for like special occasions. Like if um, a family is visiting from out of state, like for family gatherings, for feasts, for Hmong New Year sometimes. And so that's what Jingle Bell is. It's like this uh, ritual for, for blessings and such. Yeah, it's, it's also done for like when, when people are really sick or yeah. like when, when, a, when a child is born. There's like a newborn ceremony that they do. It's called Hupli, where they uh, kind of call the spirit of the, of the child um, to uh, basically kind of exist within the house. And so... Yeah, mm -hmm. there's, like, many different occasions in which Jingle Bell happens. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, and so, like, this kind of perception where it just felt completely different from American culture, you know? Like, it didn't align at all with American culture. And um, especially with, you know, uh, growing up Christian, it didn't align with that as well. So I always shunned and turned the other way whenever it came to Hmong culture because I always felt like there was there had to be or there was a separation between those two and so I never really connected very well with Hmong culture but I always found myself going back to it only because uh, in, in college we had a, a relatively large community of uh, Hmong students and so throughout my four years it was an amazing experience just 
meeting and still staying in touch with everyone. But I remember one of the professors there, he was familiar with uh, Hmong students and, and their culture and such. And I don't quite remember what we were talking about uh, or how it became about, but he was, because I was studying film, you know, in, in college. And so he, he made a remark. He said, you know, Hmong people are very interesting storytellers. And I, I didn't understand what that meant. I was like, what do you mean? Like, we're good, we're storytellers? He's like, yeah, like a lot of the stuff that your culture does is very storytelling oriented. You got your gutsias, you got your, um, uh, 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 gutsias are like, <laughs> they're kind of a meme too. I, I call them, I don't know why I keep calling them memes, but the uh, gutsias are like, they're storytelling singing. Uh, they're, they're, uh, it's very traditional, very, um, oh man, I don't even know how to describe gutsias. <laughs> it's almost like, Folk singing mixed with yeah. like yodeling. Mm -hmm. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, like, like I, something like that. Yeah. Why I don't miss that at all. Yeah, but like it's it's still a very core part of our culture, and I didn't really understand a lot of that. Um, when my professor told me that, I'm like, yeah, that's true. And we also have Hmong rap too. You know, that's part of the Kutsia stuff. What's it called? It's called something else. I know. I don't remember. What it's but I don't know what it's called. I feel like if mom and dad listen to this, they will be very ashamed of us. <laughs> I don't remember what it's called. Well, they've, well, they've never, never told us. <laughs> I, just, I, I don't remember what it's called. Um, but yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a lot of this was detailed around storytelling. And a, a lot of our culture and tales and history is done orally as well through stories. So I started to understand why I was so drawn to films and just the stories in general and to be a part of that to be able to tell stories uh, depending on who's telling it can drastically alter the way people perceive it like that was what really fascinated me and so as i said growing up i separated them but when i started doing film and my professor told me that that's when i started to connect them again so now i started to find myself connecting to my culture to how I was raised and it is something uh, like I guess in high school ish I was never really proud of it but now I can say yeah I'm I'm pretty proud of it I, I there's a lot of stuff that definitely can be worked on but I there's a lot of things I really do I'm starting to understand where we come from why we do things and that's definitely making an impact on how I see Hmong culture. And uh, I think with that, because I had the separation, I was never very fluent in Hmong. You guys know this. Of all the four, of our, of our four siblings, of the four kids, I'm the worst in Hmong. Uh, are, um, arguably, Luke is pretty bad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but Luke's... <laughs> I think, I think Luke, Luke is, is better. better. Oh, I think what? Luke is worse than you. No Luke way. is actually better. No way. I'm pretty sure Maybe Luke's better. you guys are at the same level. <laughs> Sorry, Luke. Jonathan's the most fluent. Yes. In case you guys are curious, Jonathan's the most fluent. Yes, Jonathan yeah, is the most fluent. Though. Wait, there's a reason? What's yeah, the reason? Well, I mean, because I worked... Um, the, the church that we grew up in, it's the Hmong American church. And so, like, if I wanted to, like, be accepted and like have credibility as like a as a young leader in the church like it was almost expected that i could speak Hmong and and it's just this as i worked with youth and so like as like a college age person working with youth like 
if you can convince the parents that they can trust you and that you can speak Hmong and like they just feel more safe um, with their children around you. They, they just feel like, oh yeah, Jonathan's a good influence because he could speak Hmong. And, um, and so that just kind of pushed me as a leader, as a person to learn Hmong. And mm -hmm. also like I, I love worship music. And so a huge part of that is like learning how to lead worship in another language and for us growing up in a Hmong church I, I would lead once in a while in Hmong and as difficult as it was it's just very rewarding when you know like what the words mean and when you can actually repeat the words mm -hmm. um, and, um, and, ha and have it have meaning to you instead of just kind of like making sounds you know um, yeah. so those those things kind of pushed me to, to learn mm, Hmong okay. a little bit more and, and you know mom and dad like they they, they love it when we can try to speak Hmong as much as we can. There was yeah. this one time uh, when I was still living with mom and dad where, like, me and mom would sit down. Like, I think it was, like, once a week we would sit down and, and I would try to read the Hmong Bible um, to her. And it was the whole time it was just her laughing at me, really. Uh, <laughs> you know how mom is. She's like, no, yeah. that's not how you say it. You're supposed to say it like this. And then she would just read it for me, you know? Like, okay, okay, mom, let me try, let me try. And so, um, you know, just things like that. Yeah, like, the, the, those are the kind of the things that push me to learn Hmong and, and try to be more fluent in it. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Uh, thanks for sharing. And also, it, it, of all the things I do want to improve on, it's definitely the Hmong language. But see, the thing is, even though I cannot speak Hmong very well, I can read it really, really well because... In church, I was always the guy in the back and who had to, you know, flip through the lyrics. <laughs> I had to know what, what what part of the song they were on. So when I was able to connect the words and what they were saying uh, to the words on the screen, like, that's how I could read really, really well. <laughs> so yeah. even though I don't know what the word actually is, I can easily pronounce it really really well which is a weird trait and so i think that's uh, one of the big things that i do want to work on like i do want to get fluent in Hmong and then hopefully eventually writing but writing is a whole another oh man writing is a whole another ball game <laughs> um <laughs> but dangerous words you better pray mom and dad don't listen to this <laughs> <laughs> Um, because Hmong culture and history is definitely something I want to document. Like, it's one of my, not near retirement, but when I'm older and I'm able to uh, be able to communicate more frequently, <laughs> um, documenting Hmong culture and kind of going around around the United States and kind of making it a documentary or something on the region, uh, the families, the clans around certain areas. Like, yeah, that's yeah. something I definitely want to keep track of. Yeah, I think that'd be cool. I could see that like being on PBS or something. Yeah. Oh, man. But yeah, that is definitely something I want to uh, do in the future. That's like a dream of mine. That was pretty much my experience growing up. And uh, as, as I said, now I'm starting to really understand and respect my upbringing. And, um, you know, because it's a part of me. And even though mom and dad never really imposed it upon us, which I think was a good thing because otherwise I would have maybe grown up hating it but even though they did it I still ended up you know separating those two but yeah like really going back onto it and, and ever since our grandparents passed away like I want to say seven eight years ago like keeping track and keeping in remembrance of our history I'm starting to realize how important it is because compared to like other Asian ethnicities who came here 
to the United States. Like, we're pretty new. Well, like, I want, like, 70s new. But you have, like, the Chinese and uh, the Japanese and, and the other ones there, like, from, the like, the 1900s or and earlier even. So we're still new. And so I think it is important to keep track of our culture and where it's from because we were always nomadic and we never really had a home so it is a dream of mine to make a documentary and go around the united states to keep track of that heritage and where we are now Mm, yeah i think that would be a good project we should totally put that on the calendar and say like hey let's work towards this i think that'd be really cool Mm -hmm. yeah but first thing i need to get fluid <laughs> or Jonathan can just, you know, do you everything. Better start working on it. <laughs> <laughs> Growing up, I think it's interesting that Larry, you talk about how as a kid you kind of just internalized this not hatred, but like uh you're distancing yourself from your Hmong culture and stuff like that. And just being different overall. I think uh my my experience is similar to yours in that, you know, we both went to the same elementary school um, where we were the only Hmong kids, us and our cousins were the only Hmong kids at this elementary school. Um, And then like, I think it was when I was in fifth or sixth grade, just a whole bunch of Hmong kids just kind of came out of nowhere. Well, they didn't come out of nowhere. They all moved to the neighborhood. (laughs) Yeah, they did come out of nowhere. (laughs) Um, They all moved to the neighborhood thanks to the whole white flight in South Sacramento where a lot of white folks were moving out of South Sacramento and into Elk Grove um, and into Roseville, kind of away from South Sac. And so, yeah, and so there was a bunch of Hmong students. I remember in particular a, a uh, one of my teachers, I don't remember if it was fifth or sixth grade, but my teacher had paired me up with one of the transfer students who was Hmong who didn't speak any English. And so I just remember feeling really alienated and kind of like put into this outgroup with him because he was Hmong and he didn't speak English. And so like all of a sudden I was kind of pointed to as like, as like a, as different or like as an outsider. And I didn't like that. It just kind of made me feel weird. And he was talking to me in Hmong the whole time, but I always answered back in English, you know, cause he understood English. He just couldn't speak it. And so, yeah, I just remember having that experience and just kind of feeling so weirded out by it. I also remember in elementary school, they would always send official letters and notices from the school with me in Hmong. They would send them, they would send the letters in Hmong back with me and mom and dad would get so angry and they would just be like, why do they keep sending the Hmong letters with you? Why don't they just put it in English and give it to you because it's easier to read. And so I thought that was funny that even in elementary school, you know, like we kind of, I kind of like felt this kind of like, you're different. You need the Hmong letters, even though, you know, Mom and dad spoke perfect English. They're um, fluent. Yeah, well, they I don't, don't speak perfect, perfect, but they're not, fluent. Not perfect, but they're <laughs> fluent, and they worked full-time jobs that demanded them to speak English. And so, yeah, their English was perfectly fine, uh, I guess I would say. And so, yeah, I, I, I kind of felt weird as a kid. And then moving on to middle school, where there were, like, only Asians, Black folks, latino folks and where were all the white folks at? <laughs> yeah and there were no white folks basically in my, in in middle school um, yeah that's so true yeah the teachers were, yeah the teachers, only the yeah. teachers literally <laughs> only the teachers and i bet the teachers didn't even live like in our neighborhood yeah you know? i think it was um, just the area yeah where yeah, we the, lived yeah. yeah and so we went to a middle school where there were no white kids at all 
And then we went to a high school where like everybody knew who all the white kids were because there was only four of them, you know? And so, yeah, I, I think having that experience growing up was definitely forming in the way that I kind of see society now because when I had moved to Greenville, Illinois, to finish my undergraduate degree, I was just in the middle of nowhere and there was only white folks, you know? There was very, very few Asian people and very, very few people of color. And so I, as a person of color, just kind of felt a little weirded out by it. Like it always confused me when I went to go do my laundry, why the owner of the laundromat would never talk to me, but then she would talk to my roommate who was white, you know? And she seemed like a nice lady and she seemed very talkative, but she would never talk to me. And so it was just a weird experience to have people kind of look at you that way. I also remember having a conversation with um, two of my friends. Uh, One was a young black woman from St. Thomas, Virgin Island. And another one was a young man, a white man. And I remember we were sitting in this McDonald's in Greenville And there was this group of people just like staring at us and not to be stereotypical, but they were like full fledged, like camo looked like they just got back from hunting and they were just literally eating their food and staring at us. And it was just kind of like a weird experience to kind of feel like, you know, a multi ethnic space a multi ethnic conversation like we were having, like just never happens and people, um, just kind of are weirded out by it. I don't know what their thinking is, but um, they were definitely very interested in like staring at us. And so, and now being in Seattle, which is very segregated, I would say, I live in the north end of Seattle and that's a very white um, neighborhood. Um, at least the neighborhood that I live in is very white. And so like just kind of being aware that like I need to or I want to be around more people who look like me because I feel like it's important because in those spaces, I I don't have to like change myself. I don't have to change who I am. I could just be myself. I could speak Hmong if I wanted to, you know? I have uh, one of my um, closest friends here in Seattle. She's Hmong and whenever we hang out, I just love speaking Hmong with her because otherwise I never get to do it. And that's just something that I have the privilege of doing. Um, and a lot of people, I know don't have that. And I don't, in the south end of Seattle, you'll find that's where a lot of the Hmong people are uh, in Seattle. If There's not that many Hmong people in Seattle, but the ones that are live in the south end of Seattle or way up far north. That's not even considered Seattle anymore. And so, like, not having that Hmong community around me is, is definitely different because I, like, we grew up in a Hmong community that surrounded us and like, it was like family, like our parents were in small groups uh, with other Hmong families, and we thought that these uh, Hmong kids were all our cousins and stuff, you know, uh, growing up, uh, when in reality, they were just church members who were very, very close. And so not having that community, not having that has been difficult, and trying to find a tribe, trying to find my people has been also like a really, really difficult journey too, especially because, you know, we grow up in a Hmong American community, we grew up with church people and it's a community is so close and it's almost very easy. You know, you step in, nobody judges you or if they do judge you, they still love you. You know, that's kind of difficult to find in a lot of places. And so growing up now and, and, and getting older, um, I definitely do want to focus on learning Hmong. Like you said, Larry, I think it's important. 
at least for me, I'm not saying everybody needs to do it, but for me, it's important. No, everyone must learn Hmong. <laughs> everybody must learn it. Um, <laughs> I, I just think it's important uh, for me to, to, it's a part of me keeping that language alive is important for the culture. And so, yeah, and, and I definitely want to, I think what, what you said about doing a documentary on Hmong folks would be really interesting. I definitely want to empower, you know, Hmong folks, especially Hmong women, you know, because I feel like in the Hmong American community is very patriarchal. And so a lot of times, yeah, women, it is. Yeah, Hmong women are like their voices are not as empowered. And so when Hmong women want to speak, it's, it's usually silenced or not taken seriously and so shout out to all my Hmong women friends I hear you and I definitely appreciate your voice and and love that you speak into the things that you do speak into and I want you to continue to do that I know you don't need permission but I want to empower you to do that yeah that's just kind of my experience growing up Hmong American and now living out uh, where I am now cool thank you for sharing that Um, I guess it's my turn now. And I guess my experience is similar to both of yours. And growing up, I did not want to be Asian. I did not want to be Hmong. I was almost ashamed of being Hmong just because I didn't like stuff that we did culturally, like traditional things or even our food. And, you know, like I feel like most of us or most Asian Americans like we wanted to be white like that's what we knew what we saw what was shown to us like on tv and you know what we were surrounded by like we're white people and I was like okay I want to be that I don't want to be Asian I don't want to speak the language I'm speaking like I want what they have so that was kind of my like experience like growing up like I didn't want to be Hmong I didn't want to be Asian like I just wanted to dis- my, distance myself from that question for you yes about that like mm-hmm. I, I don't ever think mom and dad or grandma or grandpa ever told us like explicitly like we should be more like white people mm-hmm. where do you think um that came for for you like specifically for me I don't know I I feel like trying to think back it probably started like in elementary school because just because you know we weren't surrounded by Asian people and you know all we were surrounded by were like white people so I don't know where it came from I think for me it's just I didn't want to be I wanted to be accepted where I was like in school well primarily in school because that's where we all were but um primarily in school like I wanted to be accepted like I didn't want to feel like an outsider because of the color of my skin or whatever language I spoke like I didn't want that to like I don't know not define me because that is me but I don't know I just wanted to be a part of something like I wanted to be mm-hmm. in, I wanted to be cool, and being yeah. cool was being white. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, like in elementary school, was it elementary school or middle school, or is I don't remember. It was either elementary school or middle school where there was this guy. He was Hmong. He came in, and his last or his first name was Mo, and our last name was Mo. Like before I got married, it was Mo. 
M-O-U-A. And I remember people would make fun of us. They were like, oh my gosh, if you get married, like his name would be more more. I'm like, you guys are freaking idiots. Like the guy doesn't take the girl's last name. And I was just like, it was so annoying. And people like always made fun of us. And they, they just assumed we would like get together because we're Hmong. I'm like, wow. And that that's like one incident that almost made me like, want to even distance myself even further from that because yeah. just like all these assumptions and all these things like that but in high school in middle school I definitely hung out with Asian people a lot more but I did not hang out with the Hmong people I hung out with the Vietnamese people and the Chinese people because again I didn't want to associate myself with being Hmong like okay I couldn't be white so I guess I'll just try to be something else or like and try to include myself in you know with like friends who weren't Hmong because I always thought the Hmong people at in middle school were a little ghetto and I was like uh that's not me like that's not what I want or who I want to be so I was like I'm gonna stay away from those people you know so that was middle school and then in high school again like I didn't want to be associated because all the people that came from middle school also came to high school so I again I didn't want to be associated with them like I knew who they were and you know like we we weren't friends like we were acquaintances we would say hi and like talk about this and that but I would always hang out with the Chinese people the Vietnamese people like those are my people to hang out with but yeah that was my experience like growing up and then going to college and what you guys were talking about early just like uh, like the community aspect of just being around Asian people or just being around like Hmong people, like the Hmong community. I had that growing up in Sacramento and then I moved to New York and I had that there too. And, you know, the community there was so strong and like Jonathan, you said, it just felt like family and, you know, you could always count on one another no matter what it was. Like they were always there for you. And, and then coming back to California, but moving to Reading, it's like a whole different aspect of that mm. because we're not surrounded by any Hmong people like at all we yeah. we only have like maybe one or two families that we know here and because well all the Hmong people all the Hmong students at Simpson they've all graduated and they moved back home mm. so you know we don't have that like sense of I guess I don't want to say Asian community but it is like we don't have that sense of Asian community and you know that like longing or that belonging and um like that aspect to it and for me, like, I miss that so much because when we were in New York, we would just always go over to someone's house and it wouldn't matter if, like, you know, you called them beforehand. Like, you would just show up and we'd be like, hey, like, come in, like, and let's just hang out and do whatever, you yeah. know? But, like, for here, like, with, like, our community of friends, like, we all love each other, obviously, and, like, but it's different, you know what I mean? It's yeah, like, mm-hmm. I have to call them and be like, hey, are you home? Can I come over? Like, <laughs> things like that. It's not like Hmong people, we just show up, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you show up and you have to accept them. Yeah, you show like, up it's... and then you text everybody else to come over. <laughs> exactly. And, and like, I feel like that's one of the things, like, I miss, like, so much. Yeah. And that's why, like, I love coming home because... I don't, I mean, I, we don't, I don't see as many friends as much just because we don't get to stay in Sacramento really long, get to see people. But like, even though like I, we don't see people when we come home, we, we definitely 
still get a sense of like community from like our friends or like our Hmong friends. Like I was telling Jason, when we were raising money for Guadalajara, the only people that donated to us were like our Hmong friends. Mm. And maybe not even people that we knew like that well. Like, like that just like showed me such a sense of like family and like solidarity. Like mm. even though like we don't talk as much or we haven't talked in a long time, like, you know, people like still love us and they support us. And that just kind of like blew my mind. I was like, wow, like these people, no matter like how far, like we haven't seen each other, like we'll, they'll still, we'll still like, we love each other and we'll still support each other. So that's one thing like I love about like, and I have like learned like now. And another thing I definitely want to like improve on is definitely Jonathan, how you were saying, just like empowering like women, like the Hmong women, or just like even like Asian American women to like speak and use their voices. Cause I feel like we don't have that, like that strong voice or like a group of women to like powerful women to like speak their voice. Because I know from like my Hmong friends, like who are women, they, they are so strong and yeah. that, you know, they know who they are, that they have a sense of, of identity, but they've never just been given that chance to speak you know what i mean yeah especially especially like in the monk church sorry i'm getting like emotional <laughs> just because like i see like just like the mold that like Hmong women have put themselves in i don't want that for them because i want them to dig themselves out of that hole that like they put themselves in like the Hmong men put them in and just be able to show like how strong they are like and to just be able to use their voices so that, you know, like the future generation, that their daughters will be able to know that they can, you know, speak, speak their voices and know that their voice matters. Mm -hmm. So that's like one thing, like I definitely want to like one day, like go back to like the Hmong church. Like I've talked to Jason about this, like going back to like the Hmong church and I don't want to be like inserting myself and telling people like, hey, I know this, like I'm, I'm better than you. Like that's not it, but like just being able to like empower like women um, in the Hmong church to, to just speak who they are and know that their voice is important. That's one thing I want to improve on. And also just like teaching, you know, Ollie and Hunter, you know, like our culture, like it's so fun that, you know, they get two cultures, they get a Chinese culture and they also get like a Hmong culture. So they get to like celebrate both. Like that's, mm -hmm. it's, I feel like it's so important. Yeah. For them to like know like their their background and you know their ethnicity and you know the history behind that so that's something like i definitely want to like keep improving on and just teaching them especially i love it when mom new year comes around because <laughs> i hated it when i was when we were younger <laughs> i know i was gonna say never thought you'd ever say that <laughs> right i know like i hated it like when i was younger but now that like growing up like i love it like even though like there's not much to do like it's so cheesy and like it's just the same thing every year but i love it because it's like it's not like a nostalgic type of thing like yeah. and i want my kids to be able to like experience that and like know that and like know where they come from so yeah I just want to say thanks for sharing. Mm -hmm. When it comes to like Hmong, Hmong women in the church, especially because that's our experience, I always I always tell people that mom is a closet feminist. Um, <laughs> that like she, I know she loves dad and she respects dad, but there are just some things that you know mom would do that's 
would sometimes push the boundaries for Hmong women in, in the culture. And I always respected mom in, in the subtle ways that she kind of empowers other women as well. And so I think, I think it's slowly, but surely there's going to be more space, I feel, for women to, to give voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, kind of like piggybacking off what Jess said, uh, like regarding the, you know, when you just show up at a friend's uh, house, you know, and they just hang out and such. Yeah. Um, I had a coworker invite me out to her birthday party, and I've only known her barely, I think, two months by then. She's like, hey, do you want to come to my party? I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. Let's, you know, let's hang out. Um, she was a mom, and I, we were able to kind of connect on that aspect. And then when I went over to her house, she was like, like oh, yeah, like this, you're still, you're still pretty early because I had work that, that had work that night. And she was like, so I arrived early. She was like, yeah, you're still early, but, um, but here's all the food here. Here's this, this, and this. And I'm like, wow, I feel like I'm being welcomed at home, you know? And then later that week, I told her, I was like, you know, the hospitality you gave me, I forget what it's like because um, I remember doing this a lot. You know, of all the things that I'm really glad mom and dad taught us was hospitality. Mm. Because even growing up, we've always had cousins and such, you know, always kind of come to our house and, you know, um, uh, be with us in community and such. And... We've done this a couple times, too, when we go out of town and visit other families as well. And so this kind of hospitality is something uh, that's something I do want to keep carrying on and carrying through when it comes to our traditions and such. Because um, I feel like you just don't get that anywhere, really. Because I've been to other parties, I've been to other things, and I'm like, man, like, I don't get that same hospitality compared to, like, uh, when Hmong people do it, you know? Mm-hmm. I feel like it's a lot different. Right, right. The whole Hmong community thing, I think it's I think it's beautiful, and it's something that Hmong people can kind of speak into, you know, the culture, whether that's the church culture at large or Western culture in general. I remember staying in Michigan one time and not knowing anybody except for uh, Dr. Christopher um, and his wife, and they were going to be gone for like um, a few days visiting their kids, and I was going to be staying at their place while they were gone, and some of the young adults at the church that they were pastoring at the time, uh, literally, they didn't know me. They just they just came, knocked on the door, and was like, hey, you're Jonathan, right? Like, come on, let's hang out. And I was just like, what? I was not expecting it. I was literally expecting to just be, like, holed in, like, their house for, like, the few days that they were gone. But the young adults and some of the youth, like, reached out and literally was, was like, hey, come hang out with us. And... And I think that's that's great and that's wonderful. And they didn't, they refused to let me pay for anything, and so they paid for everything, all my food, all the like we we went mini golfing and they played. I mean they they paid when we went mini golfing, and so just that sort of hospitality. Um, it's just something that at least I have never found outside the Hmong community, you know, um, mm-hmm. and it's beautiful. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> cool. So the next thing on our list is a thoughts on Asian representation in the media. It could be books, movies, TV, music, anything. And why do you guys think it took so long for almost this kind of like, I don't know, I don't know what the word, I don't want to say heightened, but like this, this like big like wave or like move of like Asian American representation. Right. Or even like attention to... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I'm glad we're getting better spotlight on it because I've always kind of defaulted 
that you know we're just gonna be the side supporting characters and such <laughs> for anything for any like tv show and such for some reason the first thing that came to mind when we were talking about asian representation was law and order bd wong oh yes i love him i don't know why he came up but i was like remembering i was like yeah this is a law and order american tv show and you have this uh... <laughs> i mean he played a doctor a psychologist but still <laughs> mm, yeah <laughs> yeah we're starting to break these stereotypes you know, we're not just these ass-kicking martial artists or the goofy comedic guy. And I really do have to pay respects to Bruce Lee, who actually did initiate mm -hmm. yeah. this to put Asian Americans or even Asians on a more international level and to kind of give us that exposure to that culture. Because he did do it and he was, like, popular, that's when everyone just kind of wanted to emulate that. But now we're at a point where we're starting to emulate all parts of our culture. I don't know why it took so long. I think it's just an Asian thing too. Like we just kind of mind our own business, <laughs> really. It's true. Yeah, we, we don't try. We try not to get too involved with a lot of things. Even if we're not popular with American culture or with everyone else, we're still popular within our own people. Like, you know, like with K-pop, even if K-pop, it's not popular in other areas of the world. K-pop is still popular in Korea. Right, mm -hmm. um, right. Yeah, even and with like, like films and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like Chinese media, their dramas. Yeah, yeah even K-dramas, Ch Chinese dramas, all these dramas. Like, even if they're not popular everywhere else, they're still popular within their own, within their own people, and they're okay with that. And so, we've always had it. It's just never really been in America. I feel like in the United States, it's a lot for... A country that's really diverse, our representation isn't really diverse, you know? <laughs> right. Or well-represented. Like well-represented, yeah. And I think they're finally starting to understand that. But when we started to realize just how important it was or how significant it made an impact on, you know, just pretty much what we talked about earlier, how it affected the way we perceived ourselves and the way we perceived how we were growing up we start to realize how important it is within our current environment as well as for the length i really don't know why but right now we're in a time period where it's starting to become more alive and i think that's a good thing yeah that's good my thoughts on it on why it took so long i obviously don't know the reason why but i think that a reason could be maybe people thought that, you know, Asian stories, not that they're not worth hearing, but like they wouldn't. I mean, it's a, the entertainment industry is a business. So, you know, maybe Asian stories wouldn't make as much money as, you know, like if a white person was going to star in it. It could be an Asian story, but, you know, could have a white person telling it instead. So, I mean, that, that could be one where they just didn't think that we would make money for them and something that when all the crazy rich Asians when all of that was going on and you know they were promoting it and things like that and they were just I was watching all these interviews about it and they mentioned something like you don't know what you're missing until you see it on screen and I thought that just rang like so true and I was like yeah that is true even though like I knew something was missing, like I didn't know what it was until I saw it like on the big screen. I was like, mm -hmm. yeah, I've never seen an Asian American couple in a romantic film on screen before that, you know, it wasn't not it, like, yeah, you've seen it in like a, 
quote unquote like Asian films, like you know, your Chinese or your Korean, you know, things like that. But you never saw it like in like it was an eight, it was a, an American film, you know what I mean? Starring Asian American people or just Asian people in general. So right, like it wasn't I, a Hollywood feature film or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, I think what they said there was like definitely true. Like you don't know what you're missing until you see it. I actually have something to add. Okay. Um, I remember talking to a friend of mine. She wanted to get into film, and she's African American. And we were talking about just the states of the film industry right now. And then I told her, and I was making comparisons to this. When literature first came out, it was only by men, right? And then when women started to write, they had to write under pen names. And then afterwards, when writing started to become accessible to all these other cultures, you start seeing these really popular literature uh, start to come out and be more diverse and from all sorts of backgrounds and such. I was kind of making the comparison to that. And I told her, I was like, yeah, it's like, that's what we're doing now with film. Film used to be, you know, one thing by this one particular group and then now it's come to a point where it's starting to branch out it's sort of like this weird evolution thing and so i told her like yeah we're in that era right now so we're the ones who will be setting the foundation for the rest of the century or for the rest of generation essentially and so that's kind of like the comparisons i'm starting to see and i don't know why it took so long to happen but for literature it did take a while same thing so i guess these kind of things are starting to become more accessible that's why we're able to kind of see it more and that's why we're able to do it more because back then they didn't have a voice because one maybe it didn't matter or two maybe they didn't have the capability to do so but now we do so i think that's why in a way it took for so long for so long to happen because maybe this wasn't possible until now and so because it is possible now that is something we should take advantage of yeah, I, I think I would agree to you to a certain point. I think I want to mm-hmm. just make the caveat, I guess, that for literature in particular, that there were already other countries and cultures who were also like going through their own kind of like literature things as well. And I mm-hmm. think in particular, like I think of China and the really, really famous Art of War and other, you know, like really, really famous stories and Mm-hmm. poetry and stuff like that too that's been written that's like extremely ancient that came out before literature was a thing in in England and so yeah I think we also kind of have to add that caveat but I, I do see what mm-hmm. you mean about like kind of men being the first you know and then kind of moving on to kind of women being allowed their voices and stuff like that I think one of the reasons why it's taken this long is just because we haven't really had that many pioneers in the film industry for Asian Americans. Like you guys had already mentioned like Bruce Lee and 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 we had mentioned earlier Jackie Chan and Jet Li, but then we haven't had any like people kind of doing the behind the scenes producing directing, you know? And it's not until very recently that we have pioneers like John Chu and James Wan who are, you know, Asian American kind of people behind the screen who are pushing for more Asian American representation. And I think it's also mm-hmm. it's also kind of following the almost political climate of the United States, I would say, in that um, kind of with the rise of Black Lives Matter in the in the most recent years, you kind of also see other other marginalized groups and cultures kind of come forward and say like, yeah, like 
you know, violence against black bodies is a thing for the black community. In our community, especially for the Asian American community, I feel like one of the things that we have issues with is Asian American representation, you know, because a lot of the times Asian American roles will be taken by other non-Asian American people. Scarlett Johansson could be one, arguably. Emma Stone. Um, Emma Stone. Back in the days, they would have white women play Asian men on films. Kind of adds to the idea that, like, you know, Asian men are not desirable, that they're overly effeminate. And and so just things like that. And so Asian representation, Asian American representation in film is just kind of one of the issues that we as, as, as an Asian American community um, have. And, and I think... Um, because of the political climate of the U.S., it's kind of pushing forward. Um, there's a lot of conversations about race and uh, ethnicity, um, and uh, and this is kind of like our opportunity, I think, to kind of step forward. Um, and it's not to say that, you know, oh, yeah, like, look at us. Like, um, we're being more marginalized than, you know, black people or, or Latinx people, you know? Like, that's not the point. It's not Oppression Olympics here, but the point is, you know, that we have our own way of kind of feeling the oppression of white superiority and white supremacy. And that sort of manifestation upon us is the misrepresentation of Asian Americans in the film industry. I know we've talked a lot about like TV and and film, but I think something that's also really important is also like the music industry, which we don't see, at least I don't, I mean, because the music industry is just so big, like, and in America, there could be Asian, like, artists out there that I don't know about. But from my opinion, my perspective, like, I haven't seen any Asian American musicians that are, like, widely popular, you know what I mean? Um, there might be some people who have like, like, they're half Asian, a quarter or whatever, like, I still consider them Asian. But like, I, from the, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, like, I can't think of any like asian american musicians can you guys think of any june aiko yeah see i don't know who that is <laughs> she's like she's half black half japanese i think oh wait um, i think i saw her in one of my magazines yeah she's relatively popular but i wouldn't say she's like ariana grande popular yeah so. yeah so i think that's something that we as asian americans still could be struggling with like i don't i don't know yeah, but um, you see, it's funny, like, Junie Aiko's name is only on my radar because she's because <laughs> she's Asian-American, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so I try to keep track of that, too, but there aren't very many, I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would add um, Utara Hikaru. Um, yeah. She's Asian-American. Mm? Yeah, she's, just, she's, she's Japanese, Japanese, but she's lived in the U.S. Um, for a while, and so she kind of kind of both um, yeah both yeah here and there. yeah um yeah i would i would add to that. oh she was born in the u.s yep oh, yeah. oh okay but i mean like i feel like maybe a lot of people like haven't heard of her right you know outside what I mean? of kingdom hearts <laughs> yeah outside of kingdom hearts yeah. yeah but yeah so that's something that i think we still people are probably still working on because i feel yeah. like there are so many I know so many Asian people that sing so well, but I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a look thing. Like, you know, you have to like look the part and, you know, all these things. But yeah. 
I'm gonna bring them up again. <laughs> <laughs> That's why, like, I feel like BTS is they're bring they're like changing the ball game. Even though they're even though they're not Asian American, they're Asian, and they're changing the ball game for the music industry and how like even Asian men are looked at because I think they're changing. They're redefining masculinity、mm-hmm. for Asian men that you know that. You can be feminine and you can be masculine, and yeah. Do you guys have anything else to add to this portion? I also don't want us to forget about Far East Movement. Oh、um, yes, because they had a couple like hit singles that were really really popular, and then they just kind、mm-hmm. of disappeared off the grid. But、mm-hmm. you know, they are definitely an Asian American hip hop group. Yeah. Oh, you know. You know what? No, no, no. Let me backtrack. Lincoln Park, okay. <laughs> Mike Shinoda. Mike Shinoda and Joe Han, okay. Korean American and Mike Shinoda is half Japanese, so they're also I feel like they're also one of the I guess more popular like Asian Americans.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true.、Mm-hmm. This is kind of a weird thing, not like a weird thing, but almost like a plug. There for the Hmong American, I guess, film, TV industry, and music industry. I'm I'm not too caught up. In Music industry, like I don't really listen to Hmong music that much.、I、only listen to it once in a while when friends post it on Facebook, and there's some good music out there. But there's this Hmong drama, I guess, kind of like a K drama, but you know Hmong drama called Spirit Beside Me, or Jumbly the Guisha. That's what's called in Hmong,、uh, which means Spirit Beside Me. I showed Larry the pilot. I don't know if he finished watching it, but just the pilots on YouTube if you want to watch it. Okay.、Um, is this scary? No, it's not scary. Okay. Yeah. It's not scary. I mean, there's this one scene in the pilot where there's like zombies and stuff, but it's like it's not scary. I could do zombies. Yeah, and so that looks really promising. I mean, it's it's not amazing, but for those of you who are listening who are wondering about you know Hmong representation and. In the Hmong film industry, there were definitely like Hmong movies that we grew up on, <laughs> Big Eater Orphans, or Oh my gosh, Jopla <laughs> La, right? I still,、yeah. I still remember the I. Whenever I make like the ground pork and cabbage, that's like that's what I think of. <laughs> Dude, there's like eight of those films, you know?、Really? Yeah, yeah, like each film follows one of the siblings <laughs> afterwards. Oh my gosh! Oh man! Yeah, and、um, then. Yeah, I mean, you know, like stuff like that. Like we we grew up on it. My favorite Hmong love song of all time is still Ishineng. You know, <laughs> like. <laughs> 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 oh my gosh. You know the the title of the movie is called "Gehu、uh, Chiyongyi." Really? Yeah,、Wait. that's the title of the movie. For 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 Ishineng. Yeah, Ish. Yeah. Oh.、Huh. The film title is called "Gehu Chiyongyi." And the, yeah, I thought that was Joplala, like a like a. Is it not a spinoff? No, it's not. It's its own movie. Y- you're okay. So so um, the the third okay. I don't know why I know this. <laughs> 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 the third one, the third film follows one of the younger brothers from Big Eater Orphans. Oh, and, I remember、um, that. I remember that. It's it's about this. Guy who goes hiking on a snow snow mountain area, right? <laughs> I remember that. And then、oh、this chick,、uh, this lady, the 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 female main character, gets stuck, 
on a uh, like uh, on like a branch or something, and then he helps her. Yeah, he he um. And then you know, he breaks and, down to song. Yeah, <laughs> no, but then the thing is, he's a musician. So he so throughout this whole film, uh, throughout this whole uh, film, you have this repeating motif song. That, that's that's not it's not Ishine. It's it's another song. Oh God, I don't know. I don't know why I know this, but I know this. <laughs> you secretly watch it every night. <laughs> I don't watch it every night, but it's something that just stuck with me. I don't know why. Yeah, I um, mean, I guess it's 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 like really cheesy and really bad, but this is like you know stuff that kind of impacted us as as kids growing up and watching Hmong movies and stuff like that. You know. Yeah, that so, big really orphan movie, man. It was so sad. It was so sad. Yeah. Oh, it's seriously just drama <laughs> for the sake of drama. It's like so dramatic, so it's melodramatic like too. Over the top. Yeah, it's very over the top. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's probably based on a true story. <laughs> probably. But yeah, um, but then, you know, like, those movies also speak into, like, the Hmong American experience, too. You know, these, these, the Big Eater Orphans wasn't a movie in Thailand um, or a movie in, like, Laos. Th- these are movies filmed in America, you know? And we're kind of like the gateway to Hmong Americans making films about Hmong American experience. And Joplala is, you know, is, is that. And I think no matter how cheesy or, um, like, bad the writing and stuff is, it's still pretty iconic, you know? Yeah. I now, like, I want to go to Hmong New Year and just, like, go look at movies <laughs> to <laughs> gonna, see, like, to stuff. see what's out there. No, I don't it's, think it's I'll not, buy any, but... It's not the same anymore. There are a lot, there are a lot more, like, for the sake of being, like, very over the top like they're now they're over top with like special effects and they're very cheesy and oh such, gosh so. the last mm-hmm. from what i can remember and you know people in the Hmong community who are like more involved with like Hmong film the last yeah but you, you can correct me the last very very iconic film i could remember that came out of like the Hmong film industry was that one movie that grandpa used to watch all the time with the uh karaoke like musical oh, yeah. stuff what? Yeah, I don't know. Karaoke was very, very popular for some reason around that time. It was. Um, uh... Oh, but I actually found the theme song from Part Three here. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> See, it's, this is this is not Ishining. I I I don't know why I never know this one. <laughs> it's like this. Du- yeah, it's this duet. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't know. Oh, now the song is like playing in my head. I I know. I can't believe I know this song. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah, so just a little a little bit on um, the Hmong, Hmong film industry here at the end. Oh my gosh, I remember that guy at Hmong New Year. He came to Hmong New Year one time. Really? Yes. He was like standing in a booth, and I was like promoting his movie. So I was like, oh my gosh, that's so funny. Oh, that's huh. That's interesting. Yeah. Anyways, but didn't our cousins do something? They've done stuff. They made that, like, um, that short film, the scary yeah. short film, I think it was. Yeah. Yes. Yes, that's What's okay. What's the name of their... Um, their company? Yeah, their film studio. Uh, Glass Pixel Studios. Glass Pixel Studios. Check them out. Sacramento-based film. I feel like... Um, I, I, liked, I liked their toothbrush one, because it, it's all in Hmong. Oh, okay. Nice. Actually... Yeah, they're actually, I think most of them are all in Hmong. I definitely think, like, teaming up with, like, Jack and them, that would probably be 
probably be a good idea, um, especially if like we ever want to do, you know, like, like a documentary. Like part part ten. No, gross. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Have um, your kids start it. Too. Oh God, no. <laughs> no, thank you. You would have to dub. You would have to dub over them because they don't speak Hmong. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> you can teach them their lines. It's fine. Like, get someone, like an adult, saying in a super high voice, like, oh my god. That's horrible. Hmong dub, you know, it's our tradition. <laughs> that's so gross. Anyways, uh, but it'd be cool to, like, team up with Jack and them and their, like, company to uh, even think about starting, like, a documentary. Docu- I can't talk today. What the heck? A documentary. And just like capturing like stories and things like that, I think that'd be cool. Like that's mm-hmm. what I, I've thought about. I remember, I was going through, walking through Barnes and Nobles, and there was this like, it was like mother, near Mother's Day, and they had this journal, and I was looking through it. They're like, ask your mom like, this and that and that and that. And I was like, I've never asked my mom this, like never. And then that you know, like I was talking to you guys one time just thinking about like you know like our parent stories like we only know bits and pieces like here and there but I would love to get to know like their story and um you know their thoughts and their take on you know growing up here like growing up back in Thailand and Laos and that would be like a cool thing to Mm -hmm. to get to know and to capture and finally get to hear yeah so we're on to the last question which is what do you think the future will look like for Asian Americans it doesn't have to be like in media. It could be, but just like in general. I personally think Asian Americans will at least be well, well. For me, at least, I personally am starting to become more aware and more proud of my uh, my culture, my traditions, and such. And I really think we're gonna we're going down that route simply because we're starting to see that kind of representation on screen even if in like little bits and pieces and i think uh, anytime people ask who Hmong people are i always say yeah just watch gran torino (laughs) (laughs) right because that is the most relevant thing i can really uh point to others and say like even though it doesn't represent it fully or the way it it could be done better but it's still a way for people to kind of see like yeah this is uh, a little bit of who we are and we are being represented in this film. And I, I kind of think this is where where we will be going, where people will start to kind of see and understand that where we come from and our diversity really does add to volume as to, you know, to where we come from, what how it changes our perception, our upbringing and everything. And I think that's where, where we'll be heading. What I think their future will look like for Asian Americans, I think it's slowly but surely i think we are like finding our voice whether it's in in the entertainment industry or like i guess for me like a big part of it is the church and one thing that i love is that you know jason preaches (laughs) shameless plug my husband (laughs) preaches at the story and you can hear his podcast yes online at the story dot org <laughs> he just preached this past sunday and i'm just like super proud of him and well whenever he preaches i'm just super proud because i feel like he brings such a different take on just life and you know having you know being asian american like he brings a different perspective on that and 
Mm-hmm. And through that, even in the church, like that's, that's, I could be totally wrong, but I feel like he's definitely a game changer at church. <laughs> and he often hears that uh, he is one of their people's like favorite speakers when he does speak. So like for me, like that's just like a proud wife moment that, you know, like what he's speaking is, you know, like is also speaking to others. And so, you know, I think it's it's changing like slowly but surely it is. And I think as we keep going, I think, I don't know, maybe it's just it could be like our I feel like our generation, we're like tired of maybe just sitting back. But there's also people who just want to sit back and relax and not do anything. But I feel like there are people who are, you know, like they want to see change and, you know, they're going to be like the pioneers and like, you know, the front runners to to changing how, you know, Asian Americans will be represented, whether it's on screen or in music and writing or literature. Yeah, I think it'll change slowly but surely. Jonathan? Mm, I think I'm like looking at the question and it's a very hard question for me. I don't know why. Um, I think I think it's kind of I agree with all uh, the both of you said that definitely Asian Americans are like we are finding our voice. I think even even beyond that I think Asian, I, I'm, I'm hoping Asian Americans in the future will, like, will be able to find our place. Because I feel like right now our place in the world is, is a little ambiguous because, you know, we don't fully fit in America. We're just always seen as the perpetual outsider, you know. Whenever a white person looks at me, they're going to ask me where I'm from, you know, um, because I don't look white. They want to know, like, where I'm from from. You know, where are you um, really like, from? Where am I really from? You know, so I'm I'm always gonna kind of be seen. I feel like Asian Americans in general are always just kind of gonna be seen as perpetual outsiders. Like we're never gonna be fully into American culture, and I hope that one day that'll change. I also think that we don't fully fit into you know where our motherland is, depending on what generation we are. You know, like if yeah. we're for us, we're almost you know, almost displaced. Right, right. For us, we're all two point five generation. Um, because our parents came here, uh, but then they were teenagers at the time and they, they grew up, uh, they finished high school here and, and they learned English and their English is perfectly fine. They can have conversations with, uh, with people, um, and be okay. And they can read and write, you know, which is a bit, which is a privilege I think for us. But as 2.5 generation, like if we go back to the, to the motherland, like we're going to be so lost, you know, mm-hmm. I remember, um, uh, one of our cousins going back and, and she doesn't speak much Hmong. And so when she had gone back, like our cousin didn't speak Hmong either. And so like they just kind of like hung, tried to hang out with each other as much as they could. But they couldn't because they couldn't, neither of them could speak Hmong um, because they were both more fluent in the vernacular language, you know. And so I think that there's kind of be, there's going to be like a kind of coming back to for Asian Americans, depending on your generation. I know that for third, fourth generation uh, Asian Americans, um, that might have already happened. But I think for Hmong Americans specifically, we're going to realize, you know, that um, 
that certain parts of who we are are really important. And um, if we don't do anything to like really hold on to those things and really preserve it, yeah, preserve them, then like it's going to disappear and, 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 and we're going to realize a little too late. I think for us, that kind of manifested in like grandpa and grandma's stories and how like we didn't get a chance as children to really hear their stories because we didn't really care. But now we have to hear their stories through mom and dad, you know, um, we're not able to hear it firsthand from them. And so just losing that and, and not being able to get that back, I think, is, is one of the things that I kind of have to wrestle with in learning. And so I think um, I'm hoping that for the, for the future, uh, Asian Americans will kind of have this coming back to and, and kind of this, this, uh, this ability to kind of call something their own to have a place that's kind of their own too so mm -hmm. cool yep. that sounds great thank you guys so much for your input on your experience and um or sharing your experience and just your thoughts on asian american representation in today's world and i just want to thank you guys so much for listening and tuning into this super long podcast <laughs> oh yeah very lengthy episode <laughs> yes a super long podcast but again thank you guys so much and we appreciate you guys and you guys can follow us on instagram what the heck is our instagram <laughs> at, Hold the on. Story, at the outside story well it's at the and then underscore outside story and you could also listen online and if you guys have any uh, questions, you guys can email us at info at theoutsidestory.org. And once again, I am Jessica. I'm Larry. And I'm Jonathan. And thank you guys so much for tuning in. Have a great day. Bye.